Howdy duty folks, welcome to episode 11 of the Unknown TO Podcast. It's your boy Corey here with my co-hosts Manila and Matt. Today, we're going to do a quick weekly recap of recent events. Then we're going to get into an interview with another special guest from the OHL. Uh, on the weekly recap, we're going to cover the Raptors, NHL trade deadline, and my own personal segment, Corey's Jersey Corner. To start, we're going to start, of course, with the Raptors and the recent news around Gary Trent Jr. and what he's been able to do with the team since him joining at the NBA trade deadline on March 5th, I believe. March 25th. March 25th. Did sorry. I say 5th? I'm sorry. You That's said 5th. Nice. The 5th is too early in the month for there yeah, to be a trade no, deadline. My, my NBA mistake, trade I, deadline nonetheless. I had the yeah. 5 in my head. I was close. You had half of it. <laughs> half of it. But Matt, uh, speaking of that, do you want to take it away? All right. So since uh, Gary Trent Jr., the man himself, uh, the second coming of Powell, as I, as I like to call him, uh, since coming since March 25th in 10 games, he's already set numerous records, uh, team records or his own personal, but just a few clips. Uh, he scored a career high 31 points against OKC, uh, recorded a plus 54, which was the most by any Raptors player uh, in franchise history versus Golden State. Uh, then to follow that up, he had a game winning three versus the Washington Wizards. Uh the Wizards are a pretty easy team to win, but to get a game winner, those are always nice. Uh, then recently, if you guys caught the uh, pre-WrestleMania showdown between the Raptors and the Lakers, you were uh, eligible to see Gary Trent Jr. help OG Nobi fight the entire Lakers team, uh, which I think they're going to be a new formidable duo. Uh, best friends, kind of like Marner and Matthews, I'm hoping. Or uh, maybe like a, like a Marner's Matthew and JB kind of thing, but with no superstar. But like the the love is there, I can feel it. Fight's a strong word there, though. I feel like he was just more defending him and like like keeping the separation there. Uh, that's a, that's as close to a fight we'll get in the NBA in today's I, time. So I'm calling Sh- it as I see it. It looked like Sh- uh, Schroeder was trying to hold him up, and he uh, he pulled him up, pulled him up from the legs. It was a little bit of a flip, what they call a suplex. Yeah, OG has some serious strength. Like the man easily picked up shorter and just just dropped him. Like just picked picked him up like a bag of groceries and dropped him. It was insane. Okay, my question on that real quick: Did that deserve the suspension? Like getting kicked out of the game? If you're if you're talking this era NBA, yes. Like if you're talking like 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 90s, no. If you're no. talking early 2000s, Gilbert Arenas, no, 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 no. Those you're are just Kevin regular after-the-whistle plays. Yeah. Like, that's just – that's like crashing to the net hard. Like, but we back also, in the day, you could, you could mess somebody up and, you know, it we wouldn't We also got to remember that the NBA has worked very hard to clean up their image. I mean, mm-hmm. they had problems early in the 2000s with the Gilbert Arenas uh, gun in the arena. That's you a whole the, topic I want to talk about. On you had the malice at the palace, crazy. which was even earlier than that. So, and there's there was this stigma around NBA players, which I mean, you can maybe tie into how society looks at certain cultures and certain people. So the NBA has had to work very hard, um, maybe unlike a league like the NHL, to um, eliminate that in terms of the business aspect. Because when it comes to uh, making money and uh, sponsorships, 
companies and organizations don't want to so associate themselves with uh, things like that, right? Yeah. No, it, it took the NBA a long time to get out of the that sense. I there was a lot there was a lot of things wrong with the NBA uh, in the early time. I remember there was the whole betting ring with the F- NBA referees. You had the it was just insane. And then like you said that's an episode on its own. Yeah. The last but, um, thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The last thing involving Gary Trent Jr. I know I mentioned this before, but he also topped it again recently. He scored a career-high 44 points on 17 for 19 shooting against the Cleveland Cavaliers recently. Uh, I want to touch up on that before we move to our next topic. 17 for 19 is, you know, that's insane. But, like, that going over 50% field goal percentages, uh, I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. It's hard to make shots in the NBA. It's hard to have a, guard, a guy guard you for 48 minutes, you know, or all of that stuff. It's hard to get buckets. And the fact that he's been able to break out of the shell that some of us are familiar with seeing him play in the Portland, like the Portland system, the trailblazer system. It's crazy to think that when a player gets moved from one system to another, they can either flourish or they can get diminished real fast. And it's crazy to think that this guy has taken on the role that he's been given and he has dominated in that role. And for people who were so attached to Powell, like, like me being a guy who watched him in the G league, seen him progress and progress, and then kind of seeing like, Oh no, he's traded for Gary Trent jr. What are we going to do? I'm glad that he's showing us uh, what he's capable of. And I think he said it himself recently, uh, being in the system in Trailblazers for three years, he wasn't able to, you know, attempt to show himself. Now he's able to uh, break out of his shell. But I think that's, uh, that's it for me. If you guys want to talk on that. Oh yeah, no, I was, um, I was about to chime in. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, No worries. No, since his uh, since his addition to the Raptors, um, it was hard to see Norm go playoff Powell. I mean, we hold him near and dear to our hearts, especially with that championship. But um, yeah, no, Trent Jr. has been nothing but uh, stellar since he's come in. He's shown that he's a player so far. I mean, he's gotten off to a hot start. Hopefully he can keep that up and it's not like, you know, uh, just a hot start, so to speak, but it's not easy to come into a new team halfway through the season and then make your mark, let alone a team that's not doing too well. So with that being said, it's looking real promising. And basically, like you said, like um, Raptors made a good move here and uh, going forward, honestly, with the trust and the development staff that the Raptors have, I mean, you've seen what they've done with players like uh, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Chris Boucher's coming along very nice. Uh, sky's the limit for him. And um, he's in good hands and in good shape. I just want to uh, remind everyone that Gary Trent Jr. is only 22 years of age. He is due for a contract at the end of this season but he's still only 22 and he's putting on performances like this, which as a Raptors fan, I'm excited for. And hopefully we have the cap space. Hopefully he doesn't demand too much money and yeah, hopefully we keep him. Okay. 
I think I missed... to... go ahead, Matt. No, no, because I'm going to close it out before we move on to Trade Center. So you guys get the the last little bits in before I say my okay, piece. Okay, yeah, I missed one more thing when I was uh, speaking. Um, he said one thing in the media. Um, with all all due respect to Portland, he loved Portland and everything that he had to learn from players like Dame and CJ. But he said once he came to Toronto, he felt like he was wanted and not necessarily that Portland didn't want him. But the role that Portland was using him in was not necessarily the, the role that he was fit for. Portland was using him more as a guy off the bench or as a third string guy, sometimes who would be like a rotational player. So he was looking for the opportunity to become that starter. And that hunger that he had, plus feeling accepted, uh, is going to go a long way. And he's starting off well, as I said before. Yeah, no, I agree. That's what I um, That's what I meant earlier when I was saying like he was talking about Portland's system and like when I meant that, you know, he can go from one system to another and flourish instead of being so like, like diminished and held back being like a third string guy at some points or just coming off the bench in uh, non-conventional times, uh, you know, it wouldn't necessarily show what his talents are, but I think just to add on, um, we also got Rodney hood, great shooter. He can shoot the ball effectively from the arc beyond the arc anywhere inside he can you know he's got some decent handles he's he can pass the ball so I don't want him to go overlooked he's going to be a great rotational guy but another stat line that I found was Gary Trent senior actually played for the Toronto Raptors he played for Portland got drafted played there in his third season in 41 games into his third season he got draft he got traded to Toronto you know, go back to March 25th. Gary Trent Jr. is in his third season, 41 games in. Guess where he gets traded to? Toronto. So, so just what you're telling me like that it was meant to be. It was meant to be in the Matrix. We're living in the Matrix, and also the minute that he got traded, like the the Raptors posted like a he's on his way photo and like of like him leaving Portland. You know what he was wearing. The man was already decked out in OVO gear as if like Drake called him up and told him he got traded and was like, yo, there's a package outside your door. I need you to wear this to the, to the airplane. Well, yo, let's not, let's not act like Drake isn't worldwide. No, he's our global ambassador. He has a big role in what we do. No, but I'm not talking about that for the Raptors. I'm talking about like, I know he's just as himself. Just as a brand. OVO as a brand. Like, I know, I know, but yeah. But, but hold on. So Trent probably pulled out the OBO yeah, gear. Yeah. And, and he also and pulled out a Blue Jays jersey. In an, in an interview, he actually said that he's had the OVO gear for a while. But the Blue Jays jersey, it looked like they had sent that to him because it was customized. Yeah, no, they did. But, just, uh, you know, he's already talking in Toronto slang. He's got all the stuff on. He's a Toronto man. He's a, he, knows, he knows better. He knows better. I wouldn't be surprised if he spent a little bit of time here while his dad was here. I think, I'm not sure how the timing would be, but maybe it maybe conceived in Toronto. I don't know. All right. Now shifted over to NHL news. We're going to discuss Jack Campbell and we're going to discuss the NHL trade deadline. So starting off Jack Campbell, first of all, set an NHL record 11 0 and 0 wins after setting at least record 10 0 and 0. He's now surpassed Carey Price and other grades like, uh, Jack Bauer, and so on and so forth. So, first of all, Jack Campbell, do you guys think he will continue to be the starter for the Toronto Maple Leafs after Freddie comes back? Yes. <laughs> yes. If 
So speaking on the Freddie coming back part, it doesn't look like he will anytime soon uh, with getting into the trade news, the Leafs acquiring uh, David Riddick from Calgary. Um, so that, that right there tells me that Freddie's probably more injured than we, we know. Uh, and yeah, Campbell is the hot hand. Why wouldn't you, even if he loses a game, you still got to ride him because he's still won 11 more, <laughs> right? He's 11 and one. That's still better record. Uh, and I think Riddick is is a better bet than Hutchison, and that's probably why they picked him up. Uh, so Riddick will be our th- our third keeper. And if anything happens to Campbell and Freddie's back, we have Riddick as a backup, which is still solid. So I think the goaltending situation they they addressed uh, with the trade deadline, uh, with getting Riddick, and I think Campbell is the savior of the Leafs and should be played for as long as he's performing well if the games he loses are bad and he does horribly then it's up to debate but i think if he does well and it's just a matter of they lost it's gonna happen i think you gotta keep playing i agree i think to sum it up as easy as i can put it don't fix what ain't broke campbell's already got the record he's been on a hot streak even if he loses one or two games, as long as they're not blowouts or the team isn't playing like dog water or something like that, you know, like we, as long as we can hold our own, a couple bad ones are going to slip by. We're going to, we're not going to win every game, right? It's not going to, it's not going to be an 82 and no season, but if he's playing well, like Corey said, there's no reason to take him out. Freddie must come back with like super Saiyan three powers in order to take the, the starting job from, from Campbell, but that's not happening. Cause like we said, Freddie is, injured more than what the public thinks and i was reading a, a quote from keith saying that or sorry not it was either keith or dubis but one of them were saying that they are not pressuring freddie into rushing his rehab but they feel comfortable that when he is ready he will be back before playoffs or during the first round so i don't think we should expect him anytime soon coming back for the regular season however many games there are left I think Campbell, Hutchie, and Riddick take the rest of the season and they kind of roll with it. Um, But I think, yeah, I think with the additions that the Leafs made, I think we're in good, we're in a good position to, to stay afloat while Freddie's safely getting rehabbed and can be back to that starting position goalie that we know to, to be steady Freddie in the playoffs that we know. Um, But yeah, I think that's my, that's my piece on the Campbell. Yeah, I know. Uh, both very good points, uh, but uh, I agree with both of you there. I got to go with the hot hand, and in terms of returning to playoffs, uh, you can't uh, put a goalie in who hasn't played in a month, put mm-hmm. him in the first round of the playoffs. That's hard to explain. March March 12th? What, what's the date? I can't remember now. For like, what? It was in the teens. Um, March, March, March 19th. March 19th. That was the last time we saw him. March 19th. So it'll almost be a month. We're creeping up on a month month. right now. Yeah. Damn. 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 Well, hopefully he can get healthy because obviously he's our number one and to have the tandem of him, Campbell, and Riddick going into the playoffs, like, can't really ask for much better on the, in terms of in that. All right. Now, continuing talking about the Leafs, we're going to shift gears to the trade deadline. So we were able to acquire a couple players. We were able to acquire Felino. As Corey mentioned earlier, Riddick and Button on the back end. Um, so we had to give away a few things. So for, Le- for Felino, 
we had to give away our first round and our fourth round pick. For Riddick, we had to give away a third. And for Button, we had to give away a fifth. And they retained some cap on all of those. For Felino, I believe we're only paying 25% of his salary. Riddick gets 50%. Button, the full thing. But Button's not making a lot. So what do you guys think about those trades there? I think those are good trades. I think they fill the needs that we need. Uh, we needed the depth forward. Uh, also, I was. I think we also got Riley Nash. I don't know if he's playing or he's active, but we also picked him up uh, from Columbus for like a seventh round he's, pick. I believe he's on LTIR. Yes, yes, LTIR. yes. That's what I was reading. Uh, so I like including the, the Riley Nash pickup. I think all of those are great additions. I think with Nash being healthy, uh, hopefully he can slide in uh, eventually with the playoffs. Uh, Felino, I don't want to mispronounce his last name, but Nick, he's going to be a great bottom six forward. Uh, you know, he he can play anywhere. I think he'll be great. I just worried on how much star power we'll have and if it's going to be too much. I mean, in the past, there's been like, I don't want like our for a power play one line. Like, obviously, you want to throw everybody out there, but if there's not going to be some defense or something like that, I don't want that to be. I don't want that to hurt us in the end is what I'm getting at, right? Like with everything that we acquired, I hope it doesn't bite us in the butt for what we gave and what we got. But we didn't really give up that much. We gave up a first in a, like where the Leafs are going to finish most likely would be closer to a second round and a not very deep draft this year. We gave up a bunch of seconds, a third and a seventh, I believe, and a fifth maybe. And the only roster player we did give up in all those trades was Alex Barabanov. Yeah. And we got a guy who's the same age with more NHL experience. So, I mean, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I mean, it's just like the team, from what I'm getting at, it's like, this is the go now. They're going all in, which I agree. Go yeah. all in. Do it. Just, Do it right for now. Sure what it looks yeah, like. put, put your chips on the table and go for it. Like, I agree. But what I'm getting at is we've got the expansion draft coming. With these additions, there are also pieces that Seattle can eventually take instead of some of our lucrative well, pieces. The thing is, I just too, don't though, want a lot of them are rentals. The a lot exactly. of them are rentals. I get it. Like Felino's a rental. He's most likely looking like he's going to resign with Columbus, but that makes sense because his his family's there, his home's there. He's built Columbus. There's eleven UFAs, right? Uh, I believe so. So, like the Leafs are going in because otherwise, after this year, they got to retool. So they're going for it, and. I think Dubas did a masterclass in terms of like maneuvering the Felino deal to get uh, the Sharks and Columbus to pay and retain mm-hmm. salary, and the Leafs only have to pay one point three million, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> like that's no, I, I I agree. It's just like insane. Essentially, sorry to chime in. Essentially, what Dubas was able to do was able to add to the team, make them better by grabbing someone like Nick Foligno, who's 33 years old, a seasoned vet in the NHL. He's a previous captain. He's got playoff experience, and he showed that desired will to win. I mean, don't forget, Columbus was the same team that shut down Tampa for zip, also beat the very own Leafs last year in the bubble, right? And mm-hmm. Foligno's a huge part of that. The role like He feels, as like Sheldon Keefe said in a quote that I read, which is very true, he fills a lot of those boxes that are, that are for winners. He does the intangibles that they don't. He may only put up forty points a year now, but he does all the intangibles that don't show up on the score sheet that add to a winning team. So you pick up someone like that, 
Matt, you said bottom six. I think he can squeeze into a top six role. Not sure where he would fit, but I think he can fit in somewhere. Maybe if he's on that top line with Matthews and Marner, he can play that Hyman role. But yeah. uh, so now speaking on that, that's what I'm thinking. He's either the Heim, he's playing that Hyman role either on the first line or he's playing that Hyman role on the second line. And either line, he's got Matthews or Tavares as a centerman. I think he'll do great. And he has that tenacity to play that Hyman style role that Leaf, Leaf fans are accustomed to. Uh-huh. And if not, if he doesn't fit into either of those slots, he's still playing on the third or fourth line with other good players who, where he can just have a field day and really shut down. And, and who, maybe that's what we'll see. We'll see him on a shutdown line that uh, Keith might put out there at the end of a game. Cause the Leafs have had troubles closing out games. Yeah, so. I could, I could see that if they're able to shift things around a little bit, they move him to the third line center and move Kerfoot elsewhere. And they make that third line, the shutdown, like they could move Kerfoot to the wing and maybe throw Mikheyev on there. I could definitely see that being the shutdown line. Yeah, no, very good point. I think we have to remember that Willie's not playing, obviously, with the protocols and stuff. So factor him in. I don't see him being top six. And just, just for that reason, because you've got maybe on the odd occasion. You'll oh, I did. In there. I did. Oh, you were factoring Willie? Okay, yeah, okay, so okay, okay. I was I factoring, factor, I I was factor factoring Willie in, and you slide Hyman down to the third and third line. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. What, what I'm thinking is Felino is he's, he's making $5 million. So he's a $5 million player. If you want to look at it that way, I know we're not paying him five mil, but that's the skill that he kind of brings and the stuff that he brings. So you put him up there on the wing, he plays the similar game to Hyman. Maybe he's not as fast because he's a little bit older. So he doesn't have much as in his legs. But he gets in on the four check. He'll hound for the puck. And um, it's been said he can play with those skilled players and make those plays, right? And also, he's coming from a top six role. So it's hard to um, bring someone in from a top six role, demote them to a bottom six role. I mean, he he's an older guy, so he would understand the role he has to play. And if he can, if he's okay with that, then for sure. From what I've heard from him, it seems like he he's here to win a cup, uh, and that's I am all for it. The plan, the parade route has been planned since 1967, uh, and I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> all right, now talking a little bit more about the trade deadline. There was a couple more big moves. Um, you had Taylor Hall go to the Boston Bruins. First of all, we hate Boston over here. Um, but for Boston, that's a huge move, picking up an elite goal scorer like Taylor Hall. Um, he's put up 40 his past couple of years, haven't been so good. This year, he has not been doing well at all. But, I mean, he's been playing with the Buffalo Sabres. That's if the Buffalo been, curse. Yeah, if you've been watching hockey, like Corey said, the Buffalo curse, and that has especially been in play this year. I mean, they're basically the joke of the NHL. But we'll leave that conversation for another day. And then um, as well, a blockbuster deal today. So Anthony Mantha going to the Washington Capitals. Um, I wasn't really in the loop on that stuff. I don't really follow Washington or uh, Detroit like that. I keep keep tabs, obviously, on the news in the league. But 
didn't definitely did not see that coming. Anthony Mantha is a young and up and coming star. He just signed. He just signed a four year deal, I believe. A four year contract go. extension. There you go, that too. So obviously Washington, they see something in him that they really want, and as like they're a good franchise, they have a good development staff. So hopefully that works out for him. And uh, let us know about some of your thoughts on some of the trades that we talked about. Maybe some of the trades that we didn't talk about. And who are the winners? Who are the losers? And um, yeah. All right. Now on to my favorite segment, Corey's Jersey Corner. So with this segment, I want to talk about one of my loves with my own personal collection uh, of jerseys. I love jerseys no matter what their type, uh, as long as they're nice. And Nike just came out with a recent set of jerseys. Uh, being the WNBA jerseys, uh, and they're all beautiful. I'm going to be honest. They're all nice. They came out with two sets, the Explorer jerseys and the Rebel jerseys. Uh, All of them are nice. A few highlights for myself where the New York Liberty, they came out with their Rebel jersey uh, stating, normally it would state New York or Liberty on the front, but they wrote equality. thought that was a nice tribute with everything going on in the world. Uh, And also being named Liberty in New York, Statue of Liberty, the whole meaning of equality and liberty in that city. I think that works wonders. The other was the Washington mystics with their rise Jersey, their rebel Jersey says rise on it. And it's inspired by the woman's March. And it also has the 19th amendment written on it uh, in uh, one of the stripes. And that uh, of course is the right to vote for women in the United States. Uh, I'm going to hand this off to Mandela and Matt. Do you guys have any particular jerseys you like? I was taking a look at it. Um, a couple of jerseys that I took favor to were Connecticut, LA, and New York. So New York, like Corey said, the equality, I thought that was really cool, um, especially with everything that's going on, promoting that, and just the design of it as well. LA, the colors, like it's classic Lakers colors, but also there's a pop to it with um, the palm tree in the background. And there's a little bit more yellow, I find. And also it's a little, little bit of a brighter purple. Also, do you notice the side striping? It's a palm. It looks like a palm leaf on the, the uh, that Explorer jersey. Yeah, that as well, right? It's, it's a little bit different. Like it's like classic LA with, with a little bit of a twist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that, and also Connecticut, and I like Connecticut because it has an interesting reasoning behind the name, and I'm going to hand it back to Corey to inform you guys of what that name is. Yeah, so Connecticut with their Rebel jersey, their Rebel edition jersey, it says Kisusk, I believe is how you pronounce it. I could be wrong. Um, but that is the word for sun in the Mo- Mohegan language uh which i believe is a native or first nation group uh in the connecticut region and that means sun and of course the connecticut team is called connecticut sun which i think is is awesome to see yeah exactly uh, exactly why i chose it no no it's pretty cool i'm glad that they're including more um i guess more of an inclusion to other things and uh, of that nature. I think the jerseys that stand out for me 
just on the, I guess, the beauty of the jersey, I would say I, I, something about the Indiana Fever's Rebel Edition. Like, it just gives me, I don't watch the Stranger Things show, but I'm getting heavy Stranger Things vibes from the title, it, like the way that the font is. That, uh, that and, is what it's based on. Okay, okay. So I was reading, yeah, like like the hit series that takes place in the fictional town of Hawkins. I didn't know the fictional town of the show, but definitely getting like Stranger Things vibes. It's dope. I like it. I just think on the back end, like it's a little gory and bloody to be wearing something like it just looks like like a jersey with a bunch of blood on it. So it's going to be weird to have that on TV and all that stuff. Like I think it's more of like a selling output. To describe what we're looking at, if you, you don't have the visuals, it it has a red, like a maroon jersey with red font in this, the Stranger Things style saying Indiana Fever, which is the team name. And then it's kind of just got like bright red paint splattered all over the maroon front of the jersey, similar to how the Stranger Things logo uh, is presented. Um, yeah, it, it is an interesting, interesting take for sure. To talk about Stranger Things, also on the, I'm not a big fan of like horror stuff. And I couldn't even finish that series. Damn, really? Yeah. I'm not trying to make myself sound soft or anything. Well, I'm just being truthful. <laughs> All right, Matt, any others? Yeah. So the next one that I enjoy uh, speaking on Mandela is the Los Angeles Lakers Explorer edition. Um, it gives me vibes from the like the initial WNBA team, like when Candace Parks got drafted. Like I, I feel like I remember their jerseys kind of similar to looking like this. So brings back those type of memories. And I just like the color and the way it pops and everything else from the top to bottom. And I would say I have two more uh, and then I'll, I'll finish up Phoenix's uh, Explorer edition, the Mercury one that I've always loved the Phoenix jerseys, uh, regular NBA, WNBA, doesn't matter. Those jerseys are always clean cut and beautiful. And the last one is the Washington Mystics Explorer Edition. Now, for a visual, the word Washington on the jersey is in like a wizard type looking font. Like if you were to like, if you guys remember Fantasia, the Disney movie from 2000 and the way they spelt Fantasia and like the whole like wizard-esque kind of movie, it, it definitely reminds me of that, the way the font is. But other than that, the jersey is just as clean and simple as a regular Washington jersey you know just red blue a little bit of white uh, but yeah I think those are my favorite jerseys solid picks all right now shifting gears we have a special guest for you guys Tanias Mathurin of the North Bay Battalion Tanias welcome to the show and say hi to the people and thank you for coming no thank you how's everyone doing today that's a nice, nice day outside. 16 and sunny. Going to be hitting the course later. So, you know, can never complain about that. You know, good podcast on the road, on the road. So question number one, uh, tell us a little bit, a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? When did you start playing hockey? And um, who's your biggest role model? Um, I'm from the small town of Ajax. Um, it's just a small town. Nothing really special into it. A lot of good players come from around here, though. And my biggest role model, I would say growing up, it was always P.K. Subban. Just being a black hockey player coming up, he was one of like, if not the only ones in the league. And he was really good at the time. He's, he's a little fallen off now, but 
<laughs> he was pretty good at the time. So just look up to him and the person he was. That was pretty big for me. And then what was the other question? Sorry, I missed it. Uh, it was uh, just tell us like when did you start playing hockey? Like how did you oh, get into okay, it? Okay. Yeah, so I, I'm actually not too sure. I grew up with three sisters all into music, no sports at all all older than me so I'm not too sure where the hockey came from but I remember seeing a baby picture of me just holding a plastic stick so I feel like it was just kind of the attraction to the sport and I just got into it fast and I started off at Lori's learn to skate and pickering probably four or five years old and then just moved up moved up to house league and then just kept it going from there Nice, nice. So a couple questions to add on to that. Um, I know you're a defenseman. So did P.K. Subban, being your role model, watching hockey growing up, play into you wanting to become a defenseman? Uh, did it affect your style of play? And then also, is there anyone in your family, like your dad or anything, who plays hockey? Um, no, nobody in my family plays hockey, actually. But yeah, looking up to P.K. Subban, he was definitely, I wouldn't say it affected my style of play, but him being a defenseman definitely rolled into that. But his style of play is really confident, you know, making moves on the point, stuff like that. I like to, you know, stay at home, be more calm with the puck rather than try and dangle through a whole team, right? But it was, it was more like just his behavior off the ice on top of on the ice, you know. I don't know if you guys know how he donated all that money to the hospital, you know, things like that. He's always there for his community. So just him off the ice is such a, He's such a good guy. So that was kind of more what I looked into about him. Uh, that's, that was cool. Yeah, the $10 million donation to the hospital there in Montreal. Yeah. It's, still, it's still going to this day, and he's, he's probably saved a lot of kids' lives and yeah. definitely made a lot better, right? Definitely. So moving on, um, tell us a little bit about your minor hockey career, the different teams you played on, and um, some of your proudest moments. Okay, um, so I started off House League in Ajax around six years old, and that was a pretty fun league. That's where it all started, right? I mean, I can't say I was the best, but I have a couple of clips that my dad recorded on YouTube, I think, of me just playing around, scoring some goals and stuff like that. We need and those. then, yeah, I know, it's so clutch. But it moved up from there with just, I believe, the select team. And that's that was one of the funnest teams I've ever been on. And that's probably where it like solidified my love of hockey. You know, good coach. That's where I met most of my buddies. And then from there was the grind to get onto AAA. But um, it started off my first year in novice. I got cut the last cut of the AAA, last player there. And I'd probably say it's a failure, but it's probably one of the moments I'm most proud of because of how much drive it gave me because all I wanted to do was make the AAA team. But obviously I got cut. And then from then on, it just taught me how to work hard and get what I wanted. And then, so in novice, and then the next year tried out, I made it. And then throughout that whole time, I was just on Ajax Figurators throughout the whole thing. Okay, so through all those years, what was, besides the draft, um, if you could pinpoint one moment like a tournament, um, a game, what was your proudest, your favorite moment 
like the one that will live in your memory forever. And as soon as you think minor hockey, you're like, boom, this is it. Um, I'd probably say that training camp in Nottawasaga in our minor midget year. I mean, it was, there was no parents. It was just the coaches, just the boys. And we just went up to Nottawasaga, played golf. We roomed in hotel rooms, worked out together. We did everything together just to start off the season. And it was just like, it was just like, the most fun thing ever because we were just all we were literally just hanging out all day and nothing's better than that right and we obviously got to practice and stuff but it's more just you know getting to know some of the guys hanging out with the boys you've been friends with for seven years now and all that that's like that'll stick with me for my whole life all right sticking with the minor hockey i think you touched on a little bit earlier but what's the thing you take away most from your minor hockey career yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely connect that back with the novice double A cut from triple A because still to this day that sticks with me because if I don't know where I'd be if that didn't happen because the amount of work, even though I was, I don't even know, eight years old then, the amount of work I put in throughout that novice double A year was just crazy. I was on the ice extra, team practices, running hills, like just stuff like that. Even at eight years old, that's kind of like, solidified being a hard worker throughout my whole life now because I will, I knew what I wanted and I grinded to get it right so that definitely stuck with me so you get past the minor hockey you are where you you're at now so take us through the draft experience and what was it like before uh maybe the day of and a few days after kind of just letting the moment sink in yeah so the the whole draft process it was pretty crazy right I mean it was my first touch because I like I just played hockey for fun right I never I never knew anything because I never had a family in hockey no one was telling me anything so I was kind of just playing the play right but then right as the season starts you start hearing about all these teams and then you're getting your first calls a couple games into the season and the calls just keep coming and they keep coming and I gotta say those calls at the start, they were pretty scary because what's going, uh, I hadn't, sorry, I was gonna say what's going through your, your mind when you get the the call. Yeah. I mean, obviously you see it pop up on your, you pick up the phone and then you hear, hi, I'm from blah, 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 whatever team it was. And then your heart sinks You're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And you just start stressing out. Right. But then as the call goes on, you just get more comfortable. It's just answering some simple questions. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's almost like the moment where it becomes real for you, eh? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I never thought of it like that, but then I just, you get a call and then you're like, holy smokes, like, I might actually be able to make it somewhere on top of just playing what I want to play, playing what I love. So post-draft, we had the U17 camp, right? Yeah. Um, we know it was different this year because it was all virtual. We talked to Ryder a little bit about it, and he said it was mostly like off-ice stuff, um, a little system stuff, and yeah. they did a little PR stuff, PR media training with you guys. What was what was your biggest takeaway from it? Um, it was definitely, I would probably say it was the guys. I mean, all those seminars, they were obviously important, and you would get like little facts, like temperature and sleep matters and stuff like that. But my biggest takeaway from that was just the like, the professionalism of the whole thing, right? Every single guy on that call is amazing hockey players. And they're all guys, you know, you see their names on lists, you see them online, but you never like put a face to the name, right? 
Can you name and drop then, some of them for us? Um, we had Spencer Silva, some Quebec guys. Um, you know, Ty Nelson, players like that. They were just like Adam Fantelli, like people like that. You know, they were they were all there, and they were just you know, it was just normal. They were just listening like you. They were just talking to you. They're, it was just like everyone kind of got close already just from the one experience. Okay, nice. Um, was there any challenges that you found? Um, I mean, being on Zoom, it was kind of difficult because it was pretty early into the pandemic. So just the technology side of it was kind of difficult, but they they were really good at walking you through it. We had a group chat on our phone where if you had any questions, you would just pop into that group chat. And then there would always be someone to answer your question. And then just little things like the Zoom call or just the long days, maybe sometimes you just, you might be more tired than others or whatever, but overall it was a fun experience and it was pretty easy to stay engaged. Okay, has anything else happened with Hockey Canada since that? Um, no, not really. Actually, they said they would try They were trying to get an international tournament or like a inter squad game where they would just send us all somewhere and then we would just play against each other. But as of right now, nothing happens. And I'm not too sure how that goes because it'll probably just go to U18 with all the pandemic going and stuff. I think they expected it to be done by now or whatever, but it'll probably just move up to U18. See how that goes. Makes sense. Well, wish you the best of luck with that. Hopefully you get the call again. Yeah, it's one of my biggest goals. That's awesome to hear. I just want to touch up on the camp again. Uh, what are some of the areas of your game or professionalism do you feel helped you out uh, with the camp, given that it was virtual and everything? Um, they were all, all the staff, they were all big hockey guys and a couple girls, but um even just like the elite coaches, like they were able to tell you exactly what an NHL caliber defender looks like, right? So that's kind of the stuff that I stuck on, just what they look for in defensemen, the things that make them successful. And then also just like, it's called the Can Hockey Canada Way or the Canada Way or something like that. And it's pretty much how they carry themselves, right? So it's being leaders, honesty, loyalty, everything. And it was just like that kind of really stuck with me and that I brought out of the camp. All right. Switching gears now from Hockey Canada, we got to talk about the OHL. Um, the OHL is set to hopefully resume play uh, this season. So what are some of your goals for, for this season? Have you had a chance to speak with what your coaches expect of you or what your teammates expect, expect of you? Um, yeah, some of my goals, I, uh, first season, I'm really not going to say like, I want 50 goals and I'm going to be realistic about it. And I just want to like have a role, you know, I want to be part of the team and I want to play my role as perfect. Even if, I, if it, even if it's on the fourth line, I'm going to play my role and I'm just going to do what everyone needs me to do. And I'm just going to be a team player because even though you want to go somewhere, it's still a team, right? You want to win. You want to get close with the group of guys. And then in the future, hopefully, you know, I could move up, become a solid defender there and maybe have a leadership role. And that's that. Those are some, those are some good goals, to be honest. Yeah. I like it. Trust the process. Yeah. 
All right. So we know like COVID, it sucks. We're all stuck, you know, third lockdown again. Shout out Doug Ford. Not really shout out to Doug Ford. Um, so you actually told us before you've been going to school virtually in North Bay because that's where you were supposed to go to school if everything was gone back to normal, so to speak. Um, so since you've been doing everything virtually and that basically keeps you inside all day, what are some things that you've been doing just to keep yourself busy? Like, I know there's like the gym, um, hockey, but like, what are other things you've been able to do? Like, do you go outside on walks? Do you go? Um, yeah, maybe some family walks, you know, I'll, I'll hang out with a couple buddies, play basketball. That's been pretty big with the weather getting nicer. And then when the ponds were frozen, that was probably the biggest one. Those were six hour days every single day. You're going to a pond, especially because during that time, the rinks were closed. So that's where you were getting your ice. So I even remember doing drills on a pond and stuff like that. And then I would say with COVID, I've just found other interests in like other parts of my life that have been so different for me. So like cars, I've really gotten into. So lately with the weather getting nicer, I've been washing the car like every day just for fun. And then working out has been a big one. Obviously, I've found not even just like hockey specific, like bodybuilding workouts. I've been like I have some equipment in the basement. So I've been like researching them, writing them down, finding different splits and everything. And it's pretty, pretty cool. That's good stuff. Your parents must appreciate you for washing the cars, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so last question. Tee it up nice and easy for you. Any pregame rituals or specific pregame tracks? Hmm. The tracks is a hard one because that's usually relying on the boys, but in the speaker. But usually I like to, it depends on my mood, really. Like I remember in playoffs, you know, there were some hype games. So I was listening to rock. I was just into rock music. I just go crazy before the games, right? But then some games, you know, it's just the rap or whatever. But yeah, I'd say it depends on who you're playing, depends on your mood. And then pregame rituals. Um, tying, doing everything on the left side first is just a thing I've always done. So left shin pad, left elbow pad, left skate, and left glove, like everything on the left, that's probably my biggest one. And then just little things like sitting in the same seat every time or thinking about the same things before the game, you know, I like to just keep it the same all the time. So even same game warm up, go on the ice the same, do the same things before you tee up, just like little things like that. Is big I got a, I got a follow-up question around that. Is there any pregame snacks or something that you like, you know, like a smoothie or something that you might drink or uh, take with you to the rink before you, you know, get into that mode, like you were saying? Um, I usually have, some like some type of drink with me so it might be biosteel it might be some bcaas not really pre-workout that gets you too amped but usually some bcaas or biosteel is what i usually have with me all the time are you a smelling salts guy on the bench um not really to be honest i was not no nah, i wasn't really i find it would just like kind of unfocus me if that makes sense like some of the guys you know that's all they'd be thinking about 
before the game. I need my smelling salts. Give me them. Give me them. I'm just trying to lock in before the game. You know? (laughs) What? What? Are they treating smelling salts like drugs? What is this? Yeah, they're just cracked out for some smelling salts. Um, Some guys really need them. He's not wrong. I I smelt it one time before a game, and it like like he said, it completely phased me out. Like whatever I whatever thoughts and things were going through my brain before I smelt it were completely out the window. It almost it gets you almost too excited. Like yeah. You can't even think after you do it. You just think about your nose burning and how much your heart's racing. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. Um. Well, Tio, thanks for joining. This is huge to have you on. Um. We would love to have you again on sometime in the future. Um. Hopefully, all of this stuff will pass soon. The lockdown's over. You can get back in the gym, back on the ice. A season might be a far stretch, but you know that's at least something for you. Yeah. Um. Thanks so- for having me out. It was fun. Good experience. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me no problem dude um any messages you want to say to the people before you go um just stay tuned in the podcast you know they're coming up they're coming up they got some good guests out here they're coming up yes sir <laughs> yes sir <laughs> i appreciate you for that bro thank you all right all the best in the future man all right see you guys and that about does it for this week folks i hope you all enjoyed listening And I hope you catch us next week when we bring you another episode. Signing off for Mandela and Matt, I'm Corey. And I hope you all have a good one.